Um, there's a lot of really good tools for like whiteboarding, for, for stand-up meetings. We use GeekBot so that we can do our stand-ups um, in each person's time zone at 9 a.m. GeekBot uh, ties right into Slack, basically asks, what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? Keeps us kind of keep a pulse on things. Um, we also do in-person stand-ups a couple times a week as well. Um, and and all of that is kind of the, the functional software. There are some really interesting team bonding um, uh, software that we use. We uh, I found Icebreaker. Uh, it's like icebreaker.range.co, I think. Um, so that has like little questions that we'll throw into Slack in the morning, kind of a get to know your teammate. Um, we, we've used, uh, we play virtual games uh, once a month with the team, which is kind of a nice way to bond since we don't get that coffee. You know, you can't walk and have a coffee with someone. Um, we don't get to eat lunch together. So we do, we'll play like code names or uh, some virtual games together which have been really mm -hmm. fun um and then we use 15.5 to keep track of our one-on-ones uh which this also helps to kind of keep a pulse on people's happiness inside the organization how they're doing um and it gives leadership visibility into the basically the whole org um and so our our ops team will do a, a weekly uh review um based on the the 15.5 submissions and we use bonusly as like an internal kind of motivation system and that that's anyone can give what's known as bonusly points and bonusly points can be redeemed for various prizes so if someone does something um, it's our way of showing appreciation um and then we also do a team call every week and so i know all hands uh sometimes are a monthly thing for for a lot of companies we do it weekly just to get everyone in the same room and and connected um and we leave time at the end of that call just for kind of general banter discussion. Um, that helps keep us connected. And it also helps to keep people from feeling too lonely, right? If they go too long without having a connection to the team, um, we found that that's really demotivating. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what some, some companies are obviously struggling with, you know, this, that essentially what you're just talking about what essentially those tools solve, right? Kind of more along the lines that, you know, you need to keep try essentially put together a, a you know a suite of products, if you could say, because uh, one obviously one doesn't cover everything. That kind of almost brings your work environment into a home environment remotely. You know, because otherwise you miss out on a lot of those things that are quite important that you know keep you engaged that are having to do with work, right? Um, so absolutely, yeah, yeah. And we found when people aren't engaged, then their work suffers as well. Um, we also, the, the biggest danger that we've seen in product is people siloing. And so they, they tend to work too long on something. And sometimes when if it's in the wrong direction, we, we lose a lot of time. Those are things that are much easier to catch in an office, but are kind of unique to this remote world. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and, and managing things when you have so many people remote can, can get quite difficult if you're trying to do it just via, you know, a task management system or something like that. So. Um, definitely, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, is there anything that uh, you kind of leave a, a note on there for remote working before we move on to the next step, or anyone have any questions? Throw them into the the box right now about that. Let's see if we have anything that comes in here. So I did have some questions about earlier. Um, yeah, I think there's some here, kind of about specifically product. Uh, remote management teams, product teams specifically, if there's anything different for product teams versus a, a company. Um, I say that yeah, so the, 
the hardest part we've had with pro the product team is the collaboration aspect. Um, I have not found a replacement for being all in the same office and a whiteboard. So we do still get together um, at least twice a year as a product team, generally with the product leadership team. And we will do a, a couple day offsite where we plan our next six months. Um, I know that's not an option now, but um, but that's to say that 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 type of ideation is really hard. And so what we try to keep is um, what we've done now at Dribble is broken up into small teams. And so we'll have teams of, of three to five people working on a very specific issue. And we found that when with that five person collaboration over Zoom is about the limit um, to being able to make decisions effectively. Uh, mm -hmm. There are some tools like uh, Freehand from Envision, uh, for whiteboarding. There's also like shape and, and uh, from IDEO that are really nice, but um, it's still very difficult to sit in a Zoom call and, and do the type of product planning that you would do in an office. Um, and so it kind of takes two things. One is getting really comfortable with silences on video, which is incredibly uncomfortable for the most part. Um, and that's just spending time with the team on video, allowing for silences, allowing people to 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 think and not have to fill every every white space there. Um, and then the other is trying to find those times when you can get together to do your deeper planning. Um, and like I said, we try to plan about six months ahead in person. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, that is a kind of a tip for some people even coming out of this, the fact that, you know, if in the new paradigm of remote working, it's probably going to stick for a lot of companies. So keep that in mind that obviously, you know, six months kind of at minimum is what you're saying to make sure you still do get those in-person meetings. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. I mean, product here, obviously, I think was probably one of the more obviously pressing concerns for a lot of people kind of looking at obviously pivoting or reprioritizing, um, you know, uh, the, the roadmap or the features itself. Um, we're kind of looking at, you know, the current needs and, you know, how that kind of even ties into future needs because you can't build something that's just going to be relevant for one month um, when it will take you, you know, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, and then obviously actionable strategies, you know, there is a, a little bit of recession, obviously. Some some areas like travel especially are, you know, a little bit uh, very low on input data, I guess you could say, to make those mm. decisions on data. So what are your kind of thoughts on that area? I mean, has, has this affected you in in a negative way or a positive way, because obviously different industries are affected differently. And, and, and what are your thoughts? So, um, I mean, the, the good thing for us is Dribble has been fairly resilient um, because we are already diversified in our product lines. So we have uh, designer subscriptions uh, on, a, on a SaaS model. We have hiring, um, which happens you know, on a recurring basis, but you know, is generally like a, a 2.5 to three month lifetime um, for the customer. And then we do have an advertising business. So we have already diversified our, our portfolio where had we only relied on one, I, I think we'd be hurting a little bit more, especially hiring right now. Um, in terms of, of pivoting, I'd be curious, are we looking for kind of internal strategy or kind of external um, market strategy? Yeah, I think the the market strategy is more the last point that we were that 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 that's coming up after this and this slide the the kind of exit strategies and reaching customers with like real values. So for this specific one, I think it's more internal. You know how what I mean, it still obviously does apply to a market strategy outwards, yeah. but kind of you know is it what is the best 
decision? Is there, is there a reason to, to pivot and, and, and develop some new features right now, let's say? Or is it more reprioritizing for, you know, an extended timeline to, to do that? Um, and, and, you know, is it current needs or is it current slash future needs? So, uh, really good question. So, I'll, I'll say just on the, the kind of people ops side, I think building resilience for pivoting is, is essential internally. Um, we, we work on basically an eight-week eight cadence and we reprioritize um, every eight weeks. Uh, what we're going to build in the next eight weeks. And so we do a two-week planning cycle and a six-week build cycle. Um, we, we have kind of the high-level roadmap of where we want to go for the year, uh, but we don't set anything in stone as to what exactly we're going to build next um, uh, until about eight weeks out. And we use that, that time when the team is building for the leadership to, uh, to basically shape the next uh, body of work. And it's very similar to the Basecamp model of uh, Shape Up, um, which which Ryan's phenomenal book by by Ryan Singer, um, and so that does keep us agile already on the on the roadmap internally, and it has built up some resilience for the team to do the R and D and and the research, um, and be able to throw out work, which is always the hardest thing for individual contributors to do, is to work on something for a long time and then have to throw it out because it's not right, and so that that internal resilience needs to be built up. Um, at Dribble, what we're doing as an external strategy is we are doubling down on uh, like the hiring business line right now, which you know it, it's taking a hit. People aren't hiring, and that's no surprise. Um, but we are building up so that uh, we're ready because we know the market will rebound. Um, yeah. You know, it, whether it's three yeah. months or six months, it will rebound. Um, it'll probably look more like uh, a remote workforce. Uh, which is actually a huge advantage for us as a global network. So we are spending the next um, the next couple months uh, reinvesting into that business line because we feel like in three to six months um, we want it. We don't want to be behind the curve when when things rebound. We want to be ahead of it, and so um, that's how we've decided to kind of invest our time. While it's a little bit slower. Um, I think that's different for for each industry, but I would start to look ahead three to six months. Um, what are you going to need when things come back and get ahead of that? Because uh, picking up talent in three to six months is going to be harder than it is today. There's a lot of fantastic talent in the market um, as companies are doing layoffs. So being able to take advantage of that today if you can um, and, and being able to reinvest in yourself if, for the future, um, I, I think is an incredibly valuable strategy if you want to if you can survive through this and, and kind of bridge this gap yeah that makes that makes sense um so yeah i think that that's kind of covers it really i mean it's kind of what about understanding where the market is but not just trying not just reacting like lots of companies are at the moment and you know using some type of basic covid messaging and uh, actually you know just oh these are uncertain times buy our products you know, understanding what what the actual needs are now, and 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 tying those into what the future needs are going to be, whether that be you know within an industry that's hard hit like hospitality, where the timeline is going to be a little bit slower, or you know something like uh, you know well, I guess you could say even a webinar product or something like that, you know, or Netflix where the you know uh, your everything shot through the roof uh, because of it. So. Um, yep. Obviously, at the same time, people are going to go back to work. So, you know, looking at what's happening now, but kind of comparing how that's going to affect the 
futures is a key point, I think, for, for a lot of people, probably the biggest insight from there. But that ties straight into these, these exit strategies, which you kind of already brought on, which is kind of really looking at seizing the opportunity. And we had some interesting points from a lot of people in the group that were kind of what I just mentioned. You know, a lot of companies, even big companies like Toyota or other companies like that, where it's literally just, these are uncertain times. Um, great. You know, everyone's hurting. Buy a Toyota. Um, yep. <laughs> which is... Yeah, it's very, exactly right. And I think a lot of people, I mean, almost everyone uh, actually uh, had, had mentioned something like that where the authenticity of what the the, the outreach or the marketing, uh, the product marketing side, I guess you could say, is really, you know, how how do you manage that, that, that line, you know, in terms of, look, we obviously want to help people and that is our goal, but we don't want to do what they've done. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think they're helping people, um, and, and I, I think that's one of the, people's problem with the angle. I also don't think companies were prepared for this at all. Um, I think there's there's two things that that have been effective. Um, one is is Air like Airbnb shifted over to in person experiences, right? Not part of their business model at all, um, but they saw the need for it in the market and they solved it, right? So when, when they promote, um, sorry, not in person experiences, but virtual experiences. Um, so when they, hold on one sec, um, when they're promoting th that product, it feels very, uh, in tune with the times today. And, and so they don't need to say, you know, times are tough, uh, by a Toyota. Um, they have a product ready for the times today. Um, and I, I think the other is, is like you mentioned, authenticity is just being genuine with uh, the way we're giving back. And you can use that in your marketing, um, whether you're, you're giving donations back to, to a key organization um, or you know, profit sharing with a key organization or you're arranging some kind of uh, donation drive on behalf of your company. I think those are the things that um, they're a bit more brand marketing, um, but they are ways to still get your name out um, without feeling... Uh, kind of that that icky uh, sense, the need to acknowledge what's happening um, was still driven with that kind of capitalist uh, message of buying something you don't need. And so I, I do think we'll see more companies uh, showcasing their charitable work in, in advertising. Um, and I think any, any company, large or small, has that opportunity today um, if they're not able to pivot their business to be something that solves an essential need today. Um, but I, I don't think continuing with the advertising that we're seeing um, is is it feels a bit tone deaf. Um, I would agree. Yeah, I would think that's probably an area that people are a little concerned about because you know it's it's been going on for a while, and then companies are I think you know a lot of people that I've spoken to they obviously want to have a you know they want to help people you know as an example in credit checking company or something like that right you know obviously that's a very beneficial for businesses, um, you know, trying to get loans or whatever it might be. Yep. Um, but you know, they don't want their messaging just to be, you know, uh, COVID nineteen use us. <laughs> so um, I think that's that's what you're can talking you, about, really. Yeah, can can you align it with a, a great story, right? Can you can you find that case study of helping a nonprofit 
um, bridge or yeah. a small business, beloved business bridge, right? And and really leverage that in your messaging. Um, at Dribble, we gave all designers access to our project board. Um, that's one of the key features that we actually sell and um, is, is access to this uh, exclusive project board. And so we decided to give all designers on the platform access for free for, for three months. And so really it, it didn't make us any money, but we felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, and it, it was the right thing to kind of uh, to do for the community. Um, so that, that was just, that was a decision that we made. Um, it is a bit of marketing, right? Um, trying to earn that goodwill within the community. Uh, but at the same time, it, it addressed a very specific need of people getting laid off, needing to find work, and us having um, at least a potential solution for that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's what it comes back to. It is, uh, you know, at, at that point, you know, people will obviously know that it is a, you know, it is a, almost marketing in a sense, but at the same time, no matter what, you know, it is extremely valuable and it is authentic. So, you know, there's no... When you do that, instead of basically, you know, turning out to, to look like Toyota, you know, you people people see the value in it, and there's no real resistance to what to what you're doing. If anything, it's a positive response, especially if it's really actually helping people. Right? It helps them first, maybe helps you in the future. I think that's where 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 things where things are going in terms of this reaching customer and adding or reaching customers and actually adding real value. Yeah, seizing that opportunity, which is. Well, you've talked about, you know, looking at the, the market and what's going to be happening in that in the coming months and attaching not only your stories and, and your your positioning and messaging to that, but, you know, the features that you can build out if you need to, you know, reprioritize a little bit features for that um, so you can, you know, basically capture that, essentially that goodwill um, by giving goodwill out yourself. Yep, and being ready. I think you know the key is things are going to rebound, and so how do you set yourself up for success today? Uh, looking forward, you know, since we're not anticipating growth for the next, you know, three to six months, um, but we know that <laughs> that we need to be ready because if we're behind when things rebound, we're going to miss a huge opportunity. Yeah, and I think that's that's the that's the, the end point that we get to, right? Uh, that all of this is uh, maybe a negative situation for some, maybe positive for for others. No matter what, there there will be a large opportunity, you know, in the coming months, as long as you prepare now for it. Whether that be, you know, with with um, pivoting your product, bringing on the right people for it, or whatever that might be. So, um, I mean. I think that that kind of goes through the main questions that we have. I know we're actually already over time here, but um, as long as no one has too many issues, that should be fine. Um, so just go through a quick recap of what we talked about. Obviously, um, you know, initially with that remote working, the main thing kind of being that, you know, try to to make it as as real as a kind of like an office environment as possible because you really got to maintain that engagement, that motivation, and the tools they use to do that should be kind of looked at in terms of the in terms of you know addressing that need, um, we are, we do have a white paper that we're putting together from this. Um, so uh, I think some of the people that we had one to one for this as well, um, you know that we're going to be getting that across to everyone after. So I will include some of the tools that uh, Michael mentioned on here for that, and as well as some of the other ones that other people um, think are quite good. So hopefully that'll be useful um, to go over that point. Um, and obviously product pivoting, negative strategies. It's really all about what's going on now. 
um, is not necessarily, you don't necessarily need to meet the needs of, of tomorrow. You need to meet the needs of, you know, two, three weeks and what the new kind of paradigm is going to be going forward after things start recovering. Because if you just look at what's happening now, you're going to pivot to something that is not existing in two or three months. You're going to kind of miss that opportunity. But at the same time, if you don't do anything and you're not prepared or you don't do something to, you know, engage with your customers in an authentic way, you're going to miss out on the opportunity. Um, so I think that that kind of covers it. I mean, Michael, what, what do you think? Is there any other main points that are that are important that I've missed over on that? Um, no, no, I, I think that's it. I, I think the key about uh, remote is that uh, the engagement is, is now intentional uh, versus letting an office environment kind of do a lot of that uh, team building work for us. Uh, remote, it's a very intentional game. Um, and, and so it does take a lot of upfront work to get people connected um, in, in remote. And those are things that we don't think about in an office uh, because people can naturally connect. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think each business is different in terms of what should they do? Uh, should they be thinking short term and survival or, or are they able to think long term and set themselves up for success? That just depends on the runway. Um, and I, I think that's a personal choice for each business. Fair enough. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think everyone can agree really on that front of, of, of the authenticity on that side. Um, you know, so no matter what you do, make sure you're not just doing something and hoping that'll pay you for some for some reason. Otherwise, you will, you know, really negatively influence your what you're doing. Um, so, I mean, I guess that that pretty much goes through what the main issues that we kind of talked about. Obviously, we got a little bit of issues there, so that's why we've gone over time. If anyone has any questions, throw them in there uh, right now into the, the question and answer box. Um, I'll just uh, give a few minutes there for people to ask questions. Um, I do have some that had come through before, so while we're waiting for some people to ask, I'll go through some here. Um, I, I don't think we covered this, um, but um, Alistair Triptis, he did have because he's in the hospitality industry, he'd ask something around about um, that low volume, how to make decisions with a low volume when you don't really have that much necessarily data to kind of make your decisions, you know, for, um, for let's say, if you're going to pivot or reprioritize. Do you have any insights on, on, on that potentially, Michael? Yeah, I mean, what we've done in the past is, um, is do as many user interviews as we can, which means just getting people on the phone. I remember going to market with... Uh, with a like a brand asset management product and we, we talked to over 150 people which you know in a survey um that would be really a blip right at, at dribble we do surveys and we get 20,000 respondents and so we, we we were able to collect a fairly concrete amount of data but um when we didn't we found that those in in uh those user interviews were were key to identifying a lot of the identical pain points and honestly 150 was totally excessive um we probably only needed about 10 um, and you start to see those trends emerge in, in the problems that people are having that they want you to solve. And you can you can start to take immediate action. Um, you may get some of it wrong because you're going to be 50% gut, 50% research, but at least you have that 50% research in place. Okay. That's a great answer. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, oof, uh, there we go. Management priorities for a downturn. That's uh, another one, but I think I kind of already answered that. 
Um, prioritizing business requests while working remotely. Um, I think I don't know if that's exactly working remotely, but it's just about prioritizing business requests specifically. Um, so potentially, I don't know exactly what the question is. Uh, Glenn did ask that I think on uh, on our, our call, so that might be something interesting to look into. Is there a way that you guys manage that specifically? You know, is it does it change with remote working, or is it is it the same? Because obviously the interaction across the business lines is completely different now. Um, I don't know if it would change. So what we do again, we, we do an eight week prioritization. Um, and so we, and we do that within our leadership team. And so, uh, so as we harden the roadmap, we're having meetings with our CEO, with our CFO, um, with myself and uh, and we're basically deciding what what is the next big priority that we need to invest in um, and how much are we willing to invest in it and and so um, those decisions still happen at the the leadership level and and we try to to give the product team basically the the shape of the work that we're looking for and what our outcomes are and so um, I don't know if it changes with remote. Um, it probably just happens with a slightly smaller team because decisions are a little bit easier with a smaller team when you're remote. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, it's still the the leadership team is involved and we reshape every eight weeks. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, hopefully that answers that question um, that you did have uh, there, Glenn. Um, so, I mean, I think that pretty much covers everything. Uh, like I said before, uh, we did do a few one-to-ones with people before this. So, um, you know, if you want that white paper, you can just throw a white paper in the chat box. I'll make sure that gets sent out to you. Um, I don't want to send out emails to people who don't want them. Um, so throw the white paper into the chat box if you do want that, you know, kind of with the tools, um, you know, and, and uh, the basic overview of the points that we've gone over here. I can also send the slides over to anyone in the recording who wants it, um, maybe webinar in the, chat, in the, in the chat box. So uh, that works as well. Um, other than that, um, I will be reaching out to a few people who had some other questions uh, afterwards. Um, so if you want some answers on uh, anything else, uh, happy to do that. Um, next week, uh, we should have potentially uh, a lady named uh, Sweepa from Machine Mix in London. And that's an early stage startup. Um, she's uh, uh, potentially going to speak for us next week. That or uh, Louise from HubSpot is going to be on. Uh, potentially next week, and we have um, Roger from Open uh, that uh, will be the week after potentially coming on as well. Um, so if anyone uh, does want um, to join of those, I'll get that uh, webinar link sent out to you. Um, and I guess I'll leave it to you, Michael, for maybe you know any last closing thoughts on on the environment, any tips for for you know uh, other senior product guys out there, and what they can potentially do to, to make it out of this successfully. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel for anyone who just went remote. I, um, it is, it's, it's, I think, a positive transition for your team. Um, but at the same time, it, it can be really challenging as a leader to know what's going on. I, I would encourage them to rethink uh, the way that they approach remote. You can't approach it in the same way as, uh, as in, in-house, in-person. Um, and steer away from kind of, technological authoritative uh, methods, which we have seen some companies take, where they're keeping people on video and that kind of thing. I think you have to, to build trust with your team if you want to get the best work. I'm not saying that anyone's doing that, but that is certainly an instinct when you're trying to um, 
make sure that everything is under control. Um, so I, I would rethink your processes and, um, and, and try to build up that trust with the team so that you can ensure that everyone is effective remotely um, without having to kind of dictate their day. So, um, but uh, for, for individual contributors, this can be an incredible experience. You may even see an increase in performance and output from your team as they are able to get a lot more um, heads down time with less distractions to take advantage of that. I'm, my door's open, um, so feel free to, uh, to, sh to hit me up on Twitter or uh, shoot me an email um, if you do have any specific questions around leading product teams in this time. Yeah, and uh, I know Michael has a, a, a pretty awesome podcast over there. I think Rocket Ship FM, is that right? Um, yes. Yeah. So uh, if anyone wants to go there, he's got some awesome stuff over there. Um, got to give you a, a little bit of a plug for being on here. So <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, well, I really appreciate uh, the time, Michael. I think everyone probably appreciates your insights. Um, I'll get uh, everything across to the people that, that, that want it. Uh, Nick Tedman, you, you want your, your white paper there. I think uh, potentially some others as well there. Yep. Um, all right. So I'll get that across. And I um, really appreciate the time, Michael. And I hope uh, everyone has a great day and look forward to hopefully having you on again next week. Not you, Michael, specifically, but anyone who wants to join for uh, whoever's uh, speaking next for, you know, um, if anything's changed in the next week or any uh, future updates on what we're speaking about. Thanks again for um, joining everyone and uh, stay safe out there.